Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week. It is one theme though, and that is the NHL. First up is ESPN National NHL reporter Ryan Clark. He is followed by Austin Karp, managing editor slash digital of the Sports Business Journal. Ryan comes on to discuss the biggest storylines for the postseason in the NHL. Uh, how someone in his position, a national NHL writer, decides on what to cover for the postseason, uh, being based in Seattle, and what that means for him. Ask him uh, about some of the press-friendly teams in the league. We get into a uh, discussion about Russia's invasion of the Ukraine and how that impacts the NHL, as well as Pride Night, and then uh, talk a little uh, Western Conference Stanley Cup predictions. Austin then follows to talk about um, the NHL viewership this year with the second season of the Meridia Rights with Warner Brothers Discovery and uh, ABC, ESPN, Disney. Um, So we go through how the regular season numbers were for both entities, generally speaking, uh, flat and a little bit up, but there are some caveats uh, that tell a little bit of a better story. So we get into ESPN and TNT's viewership. Uh, We also talk about where we think or what we think would be the best finals matchup for uh, for viewership. So I think you'll appreciate that. So if you're a hockey fan, you definitely will dig this. If you're not a hockey fan, I still think it's interesting for you. Ryan Clark of ESPN, Austin Clark of the Sports Business Journal coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, excited to have this gentleman back on this podcast, my former colleague at The Athletic. It is ESPN national NHL reporter, Ryan Clark. You can follow his work covering the NHL on multiple ESPN platforms. Again, like I said, used to work with me at The Athletic. Does a great job when it comes to covering that league. And I'm pleased to be joined by Ryan Clark. Ryan, welcome back to the Sports Media Podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. And yes, your check is in the mail for such a nice introduction. There you go. Yeah, make sure. <laughs> by the way, I live in a different country, so pay pay the damn postage for that, Ryan. I don't want to have to pay the customs on that. All right, so... um. Let's start here. Very, very big picture, okay? I'm sort of going to ask – I know – I realize we can do an entire podcast on this, but we'll do broad strokes here. As someone who covers this league nationally, okay, which is what you are, um, what what for you are the biggest storylines entering the postseason? Entering the postseason, I mean, let's start with the place where you live right now. Is this, is this the year they finally get out the first round? Uh, looking at game one – there are more questions. So there's, there's that, of course, the biggest storyline arguably is do the Bruins win the whole thing? I mean, you're talking about a team that had the best regular season we've seen. And you, when you look at what they've done, it is that question of, can they win the whole thing? Because right now they're a team that again, just speaking objectively, they're an all time great regular season team. But if they win the Stanley Cup, then there's a discussion of where do they rank among the all-time great NHL teams for being able to do it from start to finish. So those are two examples of, of, of storylines that you look at. Of course, the other is do the Colorado Avalanche repeat, which is after what we saw with game one, the Seattle Kraken have made that interesting. Um, then there's what's going on in Edmonton with Connor McDavid, Leon Seidel, and the Oilers. Because again, you're talking about someone that just had not only the best season of his career, but arguably the best individual campaign in the NHL. 
And after what Nathan McKinnon did last year in terms of being this wave of superstar post-Crosby, post-Ovechkin, you can't even say post-Crosby or Ovechkin because they're still playing, but let's say outside that group of Crosby, Ovechkin, Taze, Kane, like that group of contemporaries, this next group of guys like Austin Matthews, Nathan McKinnon, uh, Connor McDavid, like when is it going to be their time? And now that we've seen Nathan McKinnon do it, people are starting to look, if they weren't already, at players like McDavid and Matthews wondering, okay, are they next? And could this be the year for McDavid and the Oilers? So in terms of broad brushstrokes, those would probably be the four. I'm curious as to how it works at ESPN in terms of um, what a national writer like yourself decides to cover on a series-by-series basis. There's another prominent national writer. I'm using writer here specifically. That's Greg Wyshynski. Um, who works with you at ESPN, you obviously have a ton of people who are either television-based or multimedia, you know, whether that's someone like, um, you know, Emily Kaplan or uh, Linda Cohn, et cetera. But, unless, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, like, you know, primarily speaking, when it comes to sort of the written prose, it's you, it's Wyshynski, Kristen Shilton. Um, so how do you guys divvy it up? Because, uh, you know, there's a lot to cover nationally as a, as a writer who has the opportunity or ability to sort of pick and choose. So how does it, how does it work like for you in terms of, all right, I'm heading into this first round. Here's what I'm going to write. Sure. Well, in terms of just what series to monitor, it's about geography and who's in the best location. And so with where Greg and Kristen are set up, it makes sense to have them take care of those series that are in the East. And with me being on the West, it makes sense for me to handle what's going on uh, in, in the Western conference, knowing that with Greg being in New York, Hey, the, going to Boston isn't that far of a trip. Covering Devils Rangers isn't that far of a trip. With with Kristen in the Leafs, it, she again she's right there. Me being in Seattle, it's the same thing. When the Kraken and the Avalanche return to Seattle for games three uh, and four. So in terms of just like physically being places, like that's how we do it. In terms of giving up what to cover, look, we all keep an eye on on these series just based off geography. In terms of just sort of like what worked the timing wise, because you look at the opening night of the playoffs with two overtime games in the case of one of them, a double overtime game for the person who lives on the West coast. It's not really a problem to stay up till what was it? 10 30, 11, to watch a game. Whereas if you're on the East coast, you got to wake up pretty soon to go to work and, and start it all over again. And so that's kind of the way we've done it. But when it comes to like, okay, what's going on in the league in terms of trends or if there's something interesting, I mean, it's kind of one of those things where if someone sees something, no one's territorial. It's a really team-friendly environment, and everyone's pretty cohesive and supportive about who covers what, who writes what, and that someone sees a really cool story idea. So this is interesting to me. You worked for The Athletic. Uh, correct. Let me Tell me, uh, did you work for the Denver Post prior to The Athletic? Remind me of this again. No, no. So what it was was I had covered the University of Washington for the Tacoma News Tribune, and okay. yeah, within six months, I was hired to go cover the Avalanche at the Athletic. Okay, got it. Thank you. Okay, thank you for sir, uh, correcting me on that. So, the reason I ask that is, you know, you worked for the Athletic, and that's a national brand. So, in terms of pe- talking to people like in hockey, they're going to have heard of the Athletic, and there's always an advantage to working in a place where the players or the coaches or personnel people know you. That said, ESPN is different. You're now working for a league rights holder. You're working for the most famous name in sports in the U.S. I'm curious over the last year or so uh, since you've uh, joined them, how much weight does the ESPN name carry when it comes to someone in your position in terms of access, opening doors, et cetera? You definitely have more people return your phone call, that's for sure. Um, but look, that's not to say that they didn't at the athletic, because again, like it's a different role. So when you are covering the Colorado Avalanche, then the Seattle Kraken, while also being in a hybrid role at the athletic, it really just depends. Like, I mean, the NHL PR people are really good about getting back with you. At least that's been my experience. Whereas if being in this role where you're not necessarily tethered to one or two teams, and, and you have to do more in terms of just being, I guess you could say, more in communication with teams around the league and aware of league issues. People are pretty good. But yes, like you say, hey, you're with ESPN. 
an email that anywhere else may have taken a day to respond, people get back to you maybe within five or, or 10 minutes, or uh, even if they don't get back to you quickly, instead of like, let's say they're like, yeah, sure, whatever. They can sometimes be like, okay, tell me everything you need so we can make sure you have like all your, your questions answered. And so, I mean, like, it, it's definitely a different thing, but I mean, whether you're at a place like ESPN or the athletic or, or anyone that's like built this reputation, like that reputation, it does make a difference because look, and, and sorry to go off script here, but my first job was in Richmond, Indiana, which a lot of people go, I didn't know there was a Richmond in Indiana. And when you work at a place like the Palladium Item and in the Beaumont Enterprise in Beaumont, Texas, like some days you're lucky if you can get the local prosecutor to call you back. So when you get to a place like this or the athletic, like you're happy people call you back. And while you're aware that like, okay, there's a gravitas that comes with the athletic and ESPN, you also know that people don't have to return your phone call. So yeah, it's made a difference, I would say, or at least you notice a difference. But at the same time, it just seems like it really just depends upon, you know, again, how good people are. And so far, people have been great. What in ter- When you want to try to get hold of, um, let's say, a player in the league, let, let's not put it at the Connor McDavid level, but let's put it at a like a top six forward kind of level. Are, are, how, how, what would, is the process to the point where if you talk to a public relations director, generally speaking, you could get that player or not? Yes, but it also depends on like what you're doing. And so, like, there was a story I did earlier this season um, about Jamtelagen, which is this traditional Swedish behavioral system that explains, if you've noticed, why Swedish players in the league speak more about their teams than themselves. Because in Sweden, it's this traditional belief that the group comes first and not the individual. So when you're asking for the likes of, like, let's say, Erasmus Dahlin or Mika Zabinijad, they're all really good about saying, yeah, like, go get them. Because, like, that's maybe a five, six minute conversation at most, which that happens in every dressing room. But when you're starting to write something that's like more big picture and more personal. So like this year, the Canadians, they introduced their French language program because of course, when Nick Suzuki was named captain, there are questions that were raised of like, should he learn French or like what is being done to learn French? And I got Nick Suzuki for 30 minutes about this program, what he's doing to learn French, or there's a profile story we just had on, on Josh Morrissey, the Winnipeg Jets, where I got Josh Morrissey for 90 minutes to talk about his fu- over, overcoming that loss, um, how you deal with, with grief, um, or even a story that we just had that, that published on Wednesday about Stuart Skinner, the goalie for the Oilers, where Stuart Skinner and I talked for 40 minutes. So teams have been typically really good about that. Interesting. Um, you're based in Seattle, as you mentioned. Uh, what are the advantages and disadvantages of being a national NHL rider based in Seattle? The advantages are, I would say, number one, when teams come through here, it's a little bit more of a relaxed atmosphere. So like you look at when teams come through New York or Toronto, like it is not a madhouse, but like there's more involvement, there's more engagement. Like when teams come through Toronto, like it's of course the media that covers the Leafs, it's the national media that's based there. On top of the fact that, again, like it's Canada where the way the game is, is is processed and consumed there is different than how it's consumed in the United States. Or even if you're in New York, which is the largest media market in the continent, one of the largest in the world, it's still just a lot of moving parts at once. And you never know who's going to come out to, to interview people. Whereas if living in Seattle, you do get more time with people. And not only that, but because they're on trips where they would take them through Vancouver, they go somewhere else west next, like it allows you to not only get that time with them, but also it seems like they're a bit more relaxed because again, like Seattle's a pretty low key sort of place. There's not as many moving parts as it would be if you were somewhere else. So that helps in terms of disadvantages. I mean, yeah, maybe in terms of just trying to find the right time for everyone to speak, like, is this time too early for them? Is it too late for them? Um, things like that. Um, and also it's just like, it is sometimes how scheduling can work. So like, if you are living on the East coast, like let's say Philadelphia, DC or New York, you could take a train ride or drive and be in New York, uh, whether it be the Rangers, the Islanders, uh, the devils, the flyers, the caps, the Bruins, if you want to take a little bit of a jaunt, I mean, even go to Pittsburgh, 
Like it's all sort of like right there. Whereas if you're here in Seattle, everything is a flight except for Vancouver and even getting to Vancouver, like on paper, it's a two hour, 20, 30 minute drive, but that depends on what happens at the border. Like sometimes it takes you two seconds to go through customs. Sometimes it might take you two hours to go through customs. It really just depends. And so those would probably be the advantages and disadvantages. Um, the more interesting answer here, I think, would be the teams that are not very press friendly. But, I, 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 you know, I know you want to keep your relationships with with all the teams as best you can. So let me ask you this. If you could give my listeners a sense of what teams that you find are particularly media friendly, press friendly and the why you would you would say that about those specific teams? Well, to be honest with you, most teams have been practically all teams have been like press friendly. But in the ones that I guess that kind of stand out, that like so there's the Dillman Award, which goes to what's considered to be the best press staffs in the Eastern and Western conferences. So like let's look at two teams that are perennially in that conversation, the Minnesota Wild, Wild and the Carolina Hurricanes. So with the Wild, the reason why they're always in this discussion is because, one, they got no problem making people available, whether it's a star player, a bottom six or third pairing defenseman or someone in between, if you need to get with someone in the front office, like they'll make that happen. And if they can't make that happen, they'll work with you to find alternatives. So you could get the information you want. It just might be coming from a a different person. And with the Carolina Hurricanes, it's more or less the same thing. So there's a big story that I had about uh, Russian goalies and the rise of them. And at the time I wrote this, Peter Kachekov was winning games and people were looking at him going, okay, the hurricanes have their, their own Russian goalies. looks like they could be a thing. And when you reach out to the team to ask, Hey, maybe can I get a few people like, they're like, sure. We'll get you the assistant GM, the goalie coach. Uh, we'll, we'll get you this person. We'll get you that person. And, you know, they really don't mind. And even though I didn't end up using him in the story, I asked for Sergei Samsonov just because again, he's someone who's been in the league for a long time. And just even to get the context of like, What's it like to see Russian goalies go from, hey, there wasn't a lot of them in the beginning when he broke into the league to now where you're seeing more and more of them. Like, even though I got other voices that that got into that, like Ilya Brzgala, for example, like the fact they made Samsonov available was was really key. And so when you're talking about what makes for some of the best staffs in the league, it's the ones that like are not only understanding of what you're trying to do, but even if they can't give you directly what you're asking for, they're willing to help you find an alternative. So that way you can walk away with something. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the, um, one of the questions I had for you, I, I, I was watching a um, sports business journal um, world Congress uh, seminar. It's just, just uh, as we're taping this, it, it, it's occurring today as well as yesterday. And Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner of the league said, the story that he's most watching most or paying attention to most is Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which I thought was just an interesting answer to give at one of these conferences, you know, not like uh, RSN's folding, not something on the ice. And, you know, it obviously is a very, very important issue in the NHL, given there are Russian players in the league. There's a lot of, um, you know, I think there's a lot of good faith argument as to how to approach that should they be in the league olympics and other places have certainly been debating whether uh the russian team should be participating in any event and so at least from your perspective ryan as a national writer i'm wondering uh like how often has this come up um have you talked about it with any players and are the this is just a guess on my part like are the russian players like intentionally not talking about this how have you um how have you seen this writ large from your perspective Sure. Well, in terms of talking about it, there are sources that you can speak with about it. But every reporter who's written about this will tell you how you get to that conversation is very different because there are some people you may have known for a while who are willing to talk about it with you. There are people that you're cold calling with the hopes that maybe they're willing to have this discussion with you, whether it be on record, anonymously, or even on, on background. And with players, it's something that it doesn't really come up as often as you think. So when you're speaking to Russian players, like I did for the Russians goaltending story, 
it's really more of a conversation about the goaltending. It's not to say that you don't want to not have, it's not to say that you are trying to ignore the conversation about Russia, but at this point, like you also have to be mindful of like, what are you asking? That's going to be anything new or anything different. And it's like that with frankly, any social issue, whether it's about Russia, Ukraine, LGBTQIA, gender, race and racism, socioeconomics. So for example, you look at a place like Seattle where, hey, this is a team that's spoken a lot about trying to make sure that they're mindful of DEI, they're making sure that they're mindful of socioeconomics. Like, sure, it's something to ask players about if you're writing a story, but is that something you ask them on a daily basis, knowing that in some ways the answers may not change? And with Russian players, like it's a conversation I've not had to have with them but in terms of if they're willing to have it, it's hard to say because some players may be willing to have it. Some players may not be willing to have it. It's not like I've had PR staffs come to me and say this season, don't ask them about this. It's just when you've asked for for players, like they'll say to you like, well, it's no problem. But, you know, in some cases, understand their English may not be the strongest because they're still learning. And it's not a problem just because I do speak some Russian. And when you speak to players in Russian, it, it kind of eases the you know, the conversation. And, you know, there are things that they can say, like in mix of English and Russian that like, I can pick up on some of it. So it helps, but I guess that's just a long way of saying like, it's been no different than talking to players from any other nationality this season. At least that's been my experience. Yeah. No, I appreciate that answer. It's a, I don't It seems saying it's an interesting discussion seems to be um, not giving, not the right language for such a important topic, but uh, I, I, um, I can honestly say I, I have no issues if someone sort of came out with a with a good faith opinion and said Russian players should not be playing in the NHL as long as as long as Russia's in, in the Ukraine. But it's it's a, it's a it's not a simple answer. But it but it but but I but I appreciate the conversation. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Last one for me. Actually, I have two more for you because I do want sure. to like a like a Stanley Cup... Uh, kind of uh like early prediction we won't hold you to it uh uh cold here but um been a lot written about um nhl pride nights and i wonder for you as we head forward um if you had to if i'm asking you i'm interviewing you uh you today april 19th 2023 if you had to take a guess next year do you think nhl pride nights exist next year they would just because it goes back to something gary bettman said when he was here in Seattle and he was asked about this, he's like, yes, I get why people concentrate on those who don't participate, but there's still a significant amount of players and teams that are participating. And granted that comment can be dissected onto itself for at a different time. But the overall reality is this, like now that teams in this league have entered into this conversation to step to take a step back from it would create a lot of questions at a time where there's already questions being asked. And this can't be really said enough. And you and I've talked about this before. The NHL is really entering, and it has entered, honestly, a fascinating stage when it comes to its involvement with these social conversations. Because look, leagues like the NBA, the WNBA, the NFL, it, they're going to talk about things like race. They're going to talk about things like domestic abuse, because those are conversations that happen in this league, when those leagues, for one reason or the other, with the NHL, this is a fairly new thing. And the reality of it is this, like, you're looking at a league that has always talked about growing itself, that's talked about things like hockey is for everyone. And in order to really keep with that mission, you've got to understand it at some point, these conversations, you have to continue to, to have them because the reality is, and we've all seen the stories, the U.S. Census shows that, you know what, next 25 to 27 years, the changing demographic of this nation is going to be 
more and more people of color to the point where it's going to be a 50-50 split. If not, possibly there's more people of color in the United States um, in terms of how the population breaks down. And if you're any league, you have to think about that. But furthermore, if you're any league, you have to think about this too. You have to think about Gen Z and you have to think about millennials. Like you look at my generation as a gen, as, as someone who's a millennial, like my generation, we just don't watch sports the way older generations do. And if you're these leagues, you're already thinking about how do you sort of keep it going? Like when I covered college football, like at Florida State, they were doing things like improving wireless. They were doing things to make incentives for games so they could get younger people. And this is a conversation like that my generation and younger, like it, 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 we, we talk about it. it. It matters to us because either we're parts of these groups or we have family members or friends who are parts of these groups. And so if you're the NHL, well, yes, you face criticism from people. Of, you shouldn't be into this conversation. Now that you're in it, you're in it. And to back out of it, it would create even more questions and potentially even more problems. Yeah, that's a good answer. Uh, two quick things. One, I got a lot of faith in Gen Z that they're going to um, fix a lot of the fuck-ups that uh, um, the baby boomers and, quite frankly, I'm Generation X, my generation, have done. Lastly, um, Stanley Cup predictions. Um, I think, like, not to sort of tie you down into the East because, like, Boston is, an, is, a, is a favorite. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win, but they're an absolute favorite. The West is just 100 times more fascinating to me, and I'll get into this conversation with um, – Austin Carp coming up on viewership because the the NHL and its rights holder partner in this case uh, Warner Brothers Discovery slash Turner because it's going to be Stanley Cup Finals going to be on cable this year um, they could really use Boston because the there's not really a great viewership team in the Western Conference and as cool a series as Boston versus Edmonton would be um, you don't get anything if you're the American domestic broadcaster from the Edmonton market. So do you got a thought, like a top of line thought um, right now in terms of who might come out of the West? Put eight names into a hat, pick one, and there's your winner. <laughs> I mean, like, and that's not trying to avoid the question. It's just, that's really been the discussion all year. And so when the Oilers came through here, actually, and Evander Kane scored a hat trick, we were interviewing him post game. And he was asked about, just sort of the up and down nature of the West. And he was just like, look, this is a conference where at the start of the week, you might be leading your division in the place to win the conference. A week later, you hit a wild card spot if you lose games, because that's just how contentious it's been. So to see that the Western conference playoffs doesn't really have a clear cut favorite. It's so surprising. I mean, look again, what we've just seen through game one, like on the opening night, Two of the games in the West, one went into overtime, one went into double overtime. In fact, like the one that went into overtime, the, the Oilers had a, a two-goal lead and the Kings came back and won. And then even when you look at what happened like last night, like the Jets winning may not be a surprise. The dominant fashion in which the Jets won, that might surprise people. But again, like there was a point in time this year where the Jets looked like they were the best team in the West. And then with mm -hmm. Colorado and Seattle, like Yes, Colorado's the defending champs. And when people have talked about, okay, how did the Seattle Kraken get better? You look at all their underlying metrics offensively and defensively. It's among some of the best in the league. But if you look at their team's save percentage, it was in the bottom 10 for a second straight season. But the way Philip Grubauer played, like that's the Philip Grubauer people saw in Colorado. If you get that Philip Grubauer through the course of a series, who's to say what the Kraken can do? But again, you're talking about teams that all of them were good and consistent this year. All of them had their ups. All of them had their downs. Because if you think about the Kraken's team save percentage, and it goes back to something exec said for a story we did about, is this a playoff team? There are execs who said, if they get league average goaltending, that's a team that could win a series. If they got league average goaltending throughout the whole season, that may not even be a wild card team. That might have been a team that would have got one of the three Pacific Division places. So to say who's the favorite, that's why I say Put eight names in a hat, pick one, there's your winner. I love that answer. Uh, I, I'm really actually interested in the West for that exact reason, uh, because I don't know who's going to win. And uh, even when um, 
I lived in a uh, in the in the states. You know, like I was gonna say a non crazy hockey city, but that's not true because New York is. But it was just great. I love staying up late and just watching the West Coast uh, um, NHL postseason games uh, because it was just so much fun seeing those uh, teams. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Ryan, is there anything else you want to add before I let you go back to your uh, your national NHL job? Well, I guess the last thing I'd add is like you talk about what it's like living on the East Coast. Well, living on the West Coast and watching games is so different. So when I first moved out here to cover the Huskies, like you'd have friends of yours, like Manny Navarro, who at the time was covering the heat and it's four in the afternoon. And it's like, why are you tweeting the starting line? Oh, it's because it's seven o'clock out there. Wait, you mean I didn't watch games while still working? Yo, let, let, let's, let's make this work. And so to have the playoffs in that similar situation, like in the sense of what it's like living in another time zone, like it's fascinating that when four o'clock hits, from four to let's say some cases realistically 10 to midnight, you're watching playoff hockey or you're watching playoff basketball, or like if it's baseball, you're watching just regular season baseball all day. And so uh, it's something that we kind of joke about out here where it's like, it's always great when you have an event like the Oscars, because everyone on the East coast is like, hurry this up. I have to go to bed. Whereas if like when it ends for us, it's like, yo, it's seven thirty-eight o'clock. We could go to a movie. We could go to dinner. So it has its advantages. Ryan Clark is a national NHL writer for uh, ESPN based in the great city of uh, Seattle. We like to call Seattle uh, Blue Jays West because whenever the Blue Jays play the Mariners out there, it's a half the stadium or uh, our Blue Jays fans. Um, Ryan, um, continued success. It's great to see the stuff that you're doing at ESPN. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that uh, the mothership is uh, is using you for all sorts of stuff. And uh, thanks so much for coming back on the Sports Media Podcast. I hope our uh, I hope our paths cross again soon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. All right. Fresh from the streets of Los Angeles, maybe the beaches of Los Angeles, we bring in Austin Carp, incredibly kind enough to get up very early on the West Coast. He is, of course, a regular on this podcast, managing editor slash digital for Sports Business Journal. He is in Los Angeles for a mega Sports Business Journal conference. It's the annual World Congress of Sports. Um, 1,100 attendees. Mega, mega names in terms of the sports business world from Adam Silver to Rob Manfred. Uh, Nick Khan had a one-on-one with uh, uh, John Orand, uh, Burke Magnus, Mark Silverman. You know, uh, not trying to name drop here. If you listen to this podcast, these should be people you know. But yeah, basically uh, major, major names in the sports media, sports business space. So a major conference. And I'm glad that Austin gets a little bit of sun. Pleased to be joined by Austin Carp. Austin, welcome. Thank you, Richard. You're the only one I'm waking up for. The only sports podcast I'm waking up for. Oh, we, that's music to our ears, Austin. Um, have you done anything in Los Angeles based? Like you go to In-N-Out? Go to Pink's Hot Dogs. Any 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 LA things other than this conference you've done yet? I made it over to a couple events at Hotel Figueroa. Got to see the nice new Crypto.com Arena signage, <laughs> like all the wow. sports business landmarks. I can't believe the group. It's just the greatest uh, <laughs> greatest sponsorship. I've definitely ever. heard right, Staples Center a few times here, so and it hasn't caught on just yet. Will you be there when the uh, Clippers are playing a home game or no? Are you no, back, you're back in the East Coast? No, I, I think I'm going to be back in the East Coast already. But, man, they have a the run of events they have coming here because the Clips, the Lakers, the Kings were all away. They have six games, yeah. five days, including two NBA games in one day. Yeah. Well, listen, that's live in a major city. This is the kind of stuff that happens. Yep. So there you go. All right. You are here just for uh, what, you know, usually when you uh, join this podcast, many times with Chad Finn of the Boston Globe, we do multiple topics. This is just a singular topic. This is a very hockey specific podcast for me. And so the second season of the new media rights deal that the NHL has with Warner Brothers Discovery and Disney slash TNT, ABC, ESPN, 
those regular season numbers have come in, and I wanted to go through it with you. Let's take a look at each network. Let's start with ABC SPM. This is from your reporting. They averaged 583,000 viewers for their games, down 2%. Take me through your analysis of, of them. Well, it's important to note that in year one, like a lot, I think what a lot of that new deal was, was so many games on ESPN plus behind the paywall showing that this was a digital heavy deal, which is what ESPN wanted. They wanted tonnage for their new service. But I think in year two, I think commissioner Bettman and maybe even the network were like, all right, we need to have a little more exposure. So they almost doubled the amount of linear TV games this year. And that included a bunch early in the season. And what is early in the season for the NHL mean? That meant going up against the NFL on some Sundays, at least six times. Yeah. And just like any other sport that attempts to go up against the NFL, you're going to lose a lot of your sports audience, a lot, of, just a whole lot of it. So those six games kind of dragged down the overall number there. And yeah, they were down a little bit in year two. You take out those six games that they went up against the NFL, and there was actually an uptick in season two. So I think there are some positives to take away. It's definitely not a sky is falling thing. There wasn't an initial interest in year one, followed by a 20 or 30% drop off in year two of the deal. I think if you're the NHL, I think if you're Disney, you're pleased with how this season went. You're pleased with the experimentation. They had that Big City Greens classic where it aired on ESPN and Disney and Disney XD. I mean, it, it wasn't over a million viewers or anything like that, but I thought it was a really interesting experiment for kids to try to get a younger demo. And the demo for that game was younger than what Disney or Disney XD are able to normally draw. So I thought that that was kind of an interesting number. The, the, the thing, a couple, two, two numbers from ESPN and ABC that were really interesting to me that you pulled out. One, you said excluding the games where the NHL went up against the NFL ABC, ESPN games averaged 629,000 viewers, which would be up 6%. I mean, if you're up 6% yeah. in today's universe, that's awesome, from last year. So I thought that particular stat that you pulled out, that it real. I mean, it's not a surprising thing, but man, it really shows you how much like going up against the NFL like game changes the, the viewership of anything. It's just a titanic shift in how your numbers are measured. But if you're ESPN and the NHL, you're kind of pulling that number as your your lead. Like, all right, yeah. like it's not a complete apples to apples comp, but we're kind of up 6% in year two of this deal. It's looking good. We're getting people to continue to come to ESPN Plus for the games that are behind the paywall. Now, ABC showing more games this season. They had 15 versus nine last season. So yep. there's more broadcast exposure for the league during the regular season. It was, it was, uh, I, I think it, it, there is positive takeaway for sure from season two from the Disney side. And that, so that's the other thing I wanted to talk about is the ABC part of the schedule. You mentioned 15 games in 2022, 23 versus nine the year before. Those games, Austin, averaged around 1 million, yeah. which were way up. Over the previous thing, again, I know that ESPN executives and ABC executives have to work this out, but, you know, I mean, this is something I've been saying, God knows, 15 years now when it comes to women's basketball and other stuff that I follow is like the the broadcast window really, really game changes everything for viewership. And this is a great example for the NHL. Averaging one million viewers for regular season games for the NHL and ABC, that to me is an excellent number. Yeah, I mean. If you're a property, you want as many broadcast windows as you can get. Okay, if you're not, not everybody's college football, not everybody's the NFL, where like you have just a just so much on broadcast every single time that you're on. So I think what was advantageous for the NHL this season was also being able to get a bunch of double headers. They yeah. had a lot of like you know one o'clock and then a three thirty, kind of like the NBA has done you know in a lot of past years where they'll have that Sunday one three thirty, and people are hanging in to watch a day of hockey. They're tuning in maybe to see some of the primetime games. I think it was much more successful on their window scheduling this year, and that was why they were up a lot from year one of the deal. All right, let's turn to the cable part of this, or at least the Turner part of this, I should say. TNT averaged 364,000 viewers for its regular season games, up 1% from year one of the new media rights deal. I'm sure you, uh, uh, myself, and many others got the email from uh, – Blair Cofield mm -hmm. at uh, Turner Public Relations letting us know how many uh, shout out to how Blair. many blackouts there were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all legit. I mean, it's going to change stuff. 
again, like I look at that and I think that for this property, if you're up 1%, sort of given the blackouts and everything else, uh, I think Turner had a good year when it comes to NHL. That's, uh, you know, not a great year. Not like, you know, let's spectacular viewership game changing stuff. But again, you stick flat or up a l- up a tick with the kind of blackouts that they had for what is essentially a regional sport. To me, that's a pretty good national deal. You know, it up is up. And I think it's up is good for TNT in this case, because I mean, not just is it a new deal, but you're kind of establishing TNT as a home for hockey. It's not like it's been right. this decades long history of people coming to TNT to watch NHL hockey. Um, the numbers are what they are. It's more like in the MLS range on broadcast TV, uh, maybe a little higher, but yeah, up is up. And it's important, like you said, to note that TNT saw a 20% uptick in the number of games that it showed this season. Part of the NHL also like, all right, we, we need some more exposure out there. And none of those games last season on TNT had local blackouts. This season, because, I mean, if you're going to add games, all right, where are those going to come from? A lot of them were already designated for regional sports networks. So a lot of the games that would air on TNT, the added games this season, yeah, you, you those were blacked out in some big markets. You had two, where I guess, in Boston, New York, and Twin Cities, and in a lot of very popular hockey markets, Tampa, Pittsburgh, LA, St. Louis, just a lot of places that you have a very rabid local RSN fan base. So, you know, if you exclude those games where there were blackouts, TNT saw a 9% uptick from last year. So again, I think if you're Warner Brothers Discovery, I think if you're Nate Smeltz, another shout out there, you're happy with how the NHL did this year. Yeah, the, uh, the talent, uh, t- long-time uh, communications executive now uh, uh, doing some talent-based stuff as well. I-, I guess the one thing I would say about, and this is more of a, I, I, do, I don't know if you have anything on local viewership, but l- let me ask you this before we get to that. The one thing about all this is David Zaslov's kind of Jekyll and Hyde statements about the NBA mm-hmm. do have me sort of thinking, what is Warner's like? Like, are they in sports or are they not going to be in sports? And, you know, they have this property, the NHL in theory, for a long, long time, obviously signed by previous management. So, you know, if you're in it, you got to try to grow it, right? Mm-hmm. And you got to try to sort of do the best you can when it comes to the um, programming window. So that's the one thing that it's just, you know, I sort of have my eye on long term. I think Turner, obviously, they've, they've, listen, they, they hired a lot of people to do the games in terms of broadcasters. They put together, I think, a pretty, you know, not a bad studio show at all. Uh, but that's, I don't know, Austin, I do have my eye sort of long term on this relationship just because. Zaslav is giving me the, um, hmm, you know, we'll see what happens with the NBA. Because mm-hmm. if Turner, if Warner doesn't have the NBA, like what, what, what sports business do are it's they in? The, do you know what I'm saying? It's the cornerstone of their portfolio. Right yeah, now. that's my yeah. point. Right. But like, I mean, if this is a poker game and David Zaslav is at the table, yeah, I don't have a read on him yet. Like, I don't know yeah. what his betting strategy is. I don't know what his angle is. I mean, there's kind of some erratic bets and erratic statements and like, oh, why'd you go in there? Why? You know, that's my read on him if he's a poker player. So, yeah, I am interested to see what the long term play is for Warner Brothers Discovery, what properties they're going to continue to bet on, how big they're going to be in on the NBA. You know, Nick Khan, who now runs WWE, uh, was a longtime CAA agent. You know, talked yesterday about what he saw in the future for you know the NBA, and he's like, I think they're going to carve it up five ways. It's- I, I I tend to agree with them. I, I mean, I don't know if it'll be five, but I minimum four. Yeah. I I predict a lot of these big. I mean, the NBA is kind of in a, in a in a tier of its own, almost you know below college football and below the NFL, but it wants to take that sort of NFL college football strategy of dicing it up right. that way. You saw the Big yeah. Ten do that with. Fox, NBC, and CBS, and it has games on Big Ten Network. It has a very NFL look to it when that deal begins. The one thing that was interesting, I had Michael Nathanson on uh, uh, this week, uh, the podcast before you and Ryan Clark, um, for 50 minutes. And the one thing that he said, I mean, he actually said, I shouldn't say the one thing, he said a lot of interesting things. But from that conversation, something that stood out to me was he said that, that TNT uh, is absolutely not any kind of destination for like 20 somethings, like, you know, uh, people around his kid's age. Um, and that is 
That's an interesting one in terms of if you think about Adam Silver and that as much as I think they obviously respect and probably want to continue in some ways with WBD, I don't particularly think Zaslav's leverage is as great as he might think. Uh, I I have absolutely no doubt that another network player, whether it's a Fox or an NBC, mm-hmm. would, would love to have part of that. And then you can't tell me a place like Amazon would not love to have like a, you know, Friday night NBA night or something like that. Like money's not an issue for them. And to get a piece of the NBA to add to same thing with Apple in some way, you know, to add to their sports portfolio. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, Zaslov's, you know, much richer, richer, wealthier, smarter guy than me. But at that poker table, I, if he thinks he's holding a straight flush, I might argue he's not holding a straight flush on this one. Well, you know, I think I'm sure the NBA is having these talks. Obviously, a lot of smart folks over there. They're talking to the right people. But do you want to? I mean, the NFL is one thing. That's like a couple of games, like over the course of a weekend. You kind of know where to find them. But if you, I mean, the flip side is if you dice it up too much, you kind of start to look like what baseball now looks like. Baseball, yeah, which is terrible. Which is where is where is my game tonight? Is it on an RSN? Is it on Apple TV? Is it on another streaming service? Is it on FS1? Is it on Fox? It is on. E- is it on ESPN? Um, that gets confusing. That's a little too much, and I, you know, I think baseball recognizes that a little bit, and they're trying to claw some of that back, which is, I think, part of their RSN strategy in the long run. Uh, they they want to control that inventory. Uh, so I, I think the NBA is looking at that and looking at what the NFL was able to do and l- trying to see what is the best avenue forward for them. NBA signs with Google, $200 billion deal, all behind a paywall. There you, there's, there you go. Um, do you um, do you have anything top line on the local viewership of the NHL this Still year? Still working through the local stuff? We're gonna have to sa- i got to save that for another pod with you, Richard. Come on. I want yeah, the invite fine. back. You'll get it. You'll get it back. I'm always curious about that. You know, I'm, I'm sure the traditional crazy hockey markets like, uh, um, you know, like Buffalo and Boston and places That's, like yeah. that were uh, it was, through the roof. It was. Uh, it was. I think it was the best record for the Bruins. Obviously, you know, this being the outlier, having their season that they did, I think it was the best for them since like 2014, 2015 for Nesson on the local. Side. Yeah. You know what's a shame? Uh, you know what? I shouldn't say shame, but you know what hurts the national and probably wasn't a great local? The Blackhawks were terrible this yep. year, and that's a great hockey town. You know that? The, if you Chicago basically carried NBC for so many years in the Stanley Cup final, mm-hmm. and those those numbers this year are probably terrible just given, um, you know, they're in the tank for uh, Connor Bedard. Uh, all right, last one for me. This is very, very early data, so I'll just get your top line on this. Um, I saw the first night of the playoffs came in. ESPN said Bruins Panthers game one did 1.1 million, which was up pretty big from the previous year. And their four games between ESPN and ESPN two average 672,000 viewers. Uh, I would say again, just based on my top of the mind take here, that those are pretty good numbers for for a first night of the playoffs. How'd you say? Yeah, I think there's always excitement at, at you know the start, and I think you know first round is trending towards some sort of uptick. I think NBA is in a similar spot, but um, yeah, it, it's good to see that interest earlier on. I'm still just I'm looking further down the road at this point to the first all cable Stanley Cup final since 1994 oh, on TNT. Wow. wow, and you know if it's Man, if you get like even two Canadian teams in there, and uh, I, I would love that. But but I don't think to, I don't think Turner. I don't think that's the way Turner wants to start. So I, I, I'm sure they're hoping from for some sort of big. Market. Don't you think they got a roof for the Bruins? Just given the hockey market, yeah. that's the team you want there, right? The Boston market is completely behind them. I think just Boston in general has this sports fervor right now with the Celtics yeah. and just a lot going on there. So uh, I think that, that would be, what would what would be the best final for them? Boston, Colorado. I'm just trying to think of the markets. Yeah, that's. I mean, yeah. or Boston, Edmonton would be a great final because of Connor McDavid, but you don't get you the, Edmonton the Edmonton market. market. So it's not really a television play. I'm just trying to think of the. Is there a? There's not really a. I don't. You know, have LA teams. out there just in terms of market size, yeah. but you know, obviously, LA doesn't bring in that bring in a huge rabbit. It doesn't. Does not. There's not a definitive. There's not at the moment in the playoffs. There's not like a definitive can't miss Western Conference market. I don't think. I think Boston be good. Obviously, having the Rangers would be good. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of Eastern ones. Yeah. Yeah. The I think the East is well that. populated with uh, you know <laughs> big markets. Shocking news. Yeah. 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 It's I'll have to take a little bit more of a uh, 
of a deeper dive into that. But um, but there are, you know, they're just from the geography, you know, Winnipeg and Edmonton like bring you nothing television wise. Mm-hmm. So you're already down two teams that way, uh, and then you'd have to look at uh, at who else is there. That, that's, Denver's that's tough. It's such a good team, but they've like a lot of these, like a lot of teams, like they've had their own RSN carriage issues for. Yes. even l- longer back and i think that's kind of stunted the you know organic growth around this new team i agree with you the the the, the i don't know if it's an irony but the interesting thing of all this is the nhl has is in such a great place in terms of the great young players in the game mm-hmm. they actually have a really great game to sell yeah. if you're uh, if you're following the game all right austin carp is the managing editor slash digital of sports business journal kind enough to join us uh, from los angeles uh prior to day two of the big world congress of sports conference uh austin enjoy your uh enjoy the time you have left in los angeles Uh, hopefully you get uh you know you're able to uh eat at some fancy los angeles restaurant on your boss's dime that's what these conferences are generally i assume you mean in and out burgers so yeah i'll see if i can make that happen you know what that's a that listen (laughs) that's a hell of a that'd be a hell of a dinner but arguably maybe the best uh, fast food hamburger in the world Uh, All right, man. Thank you for doing this in all seriousness. I know you're waking up early and uh, have a great rest of the conference. And thanks so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks again for having me. Uh, Back in the studio, my thanks to Ryan Clark and Austin Karp for their insight and their time. I appreciate them both. Um, Earlier this week, analyst Michael Nathanson on the future of sports media rights. Got a lot of great feedback from that. Um, Check that out. I think you'll find that interesting. Uh, no matter what fan you, uh, no matter what sport you are a fan of, I think that that's a conversation you'll be interested in. Uh, previous podcast, Alan Shipnuck and Howard Beck. Alan Shipnuck, of course, the fine golf writer. Howard Beck, the fine basketball writer. We did a women's basketball podcast with Ryan Rucco, and then uh, my athletic colleague Chantel Jennings and Sabrina Merchant uh, had Alex Sherman on to talk about the WWE Endeavor merger. Uh, Michael Cole of the WWE was on this podcast. Holly Rowe, uh, Joe Davis, the um, the excellent uh, Fox uh, World Series broadcaster on uh, Michaels not too long ago. Again, there should be stuff on this podcast that um, you uh, you will enjoy and appreciate. Uh, my thanks to uh, Patrick Antonetti, of course, for all his hard work. Thanks to everybody at uh, Cadence 13 and Odyssey for their support. And thank you for listening. We'll see you soon. Sports Media Podcast.